Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church. An outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear any evil. Why? Because he's with us. Hallelujah. The Lord is with us. Praise God. It don't matter how deep the valley is. If the Lord's there, it's just like living on the mountaintop. Did you get that? I said, no matter how deep the valley is, if the Lord is there, it's like living on the mountaintop. I'm talking about living in this world. We're to be living like we're living on a mountaintop, even though... In the natural, it might appear, we're in a deep valley. It don't matter, the Lord's there. And he's the God of the valley. And he's the God of the mountaintops. He's got it all. All at the same time. So you might as well enjoy the mountaintop while in the valley. And then when you're up on the mountain, go ahead and be compassionate to those in the valley. Right? We don't lose, we don't lose sight of those in the valley. We're concerned for those that are in the valley while we're up on the mountaintop. Because the Lord is in both places. And he's in us. He's with us. So we're in both places at the same time. So we're never without a mountaintop. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, you're never without a mountaintop. You're always high. I said you're always high. Up high. Up high. Looking down over all things. We sit in a high and lofty place with him. Because that's where he is. And we're seated together with him in the heavenly places. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God. So we're all in a really good place this morning. We're in a high and lofty place. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's where we are. That's where we are. And that's how you change the condition of the valley. While you're walking through the valley... Living out of that high and lofty place with God. That's how we change the valley down here. See, if we just see ourselves in the valley and we're just trying to get out of the valley to get to the mountain, see, then we might never get out. Like the children of Israel in the wilderness, see, God had a promised land for them. I mean, God was with them. You talk about him being with you. He was with you. The cloud of fire by night, cloud by day. I mean... God was with them wherever they went and in whatever they did. I mean, they should have been so bold. So bold in their God that they should have recognized there's nothing we cannot do. They should have been enjoying the promised land while in the wilderness. Because the God of the promised land was in the wilderness. The God of the promise, the God that makes the promised land the promised land was right there with them in that dry and thirsty land. He was right there with them. They could have enjoyed themselves. Just like Moses. Moses did. Joshua did. Caleb did. There were some folks that did. I mean, they enjoyed God in that wilderness like they were already in the promised land. You and I are destined for heaven. Having been born again, born of God, washed in the blood of Jesus having eternal life in our hearts, man, we're on our way to heaven shouting the victory. 
But more than that, the God of heaven is already here with us on earth. God the Holy Spirit is living in us. He is already with us. So we're already enjoying days of heaven right here on the earth. Right here on the earth. Man, we're living out of heaven while here on the earth. And that's how you can have his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's by living out of heaven while here on the earth. We are heavenly creatures, heavenly beings, seated with our heavenly Father, walking in the Spirit, walking in the light, full of life, full of life, overflowing with life. That's who we are. Man, life is good because our life is God. We're in a series entitled The Ephesus Exhortation, Acts chapter 20, verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. And as we said last time, the Holy Spirit will warn you of things to come. He will tell you, Jesus said, he will tell you of things to come. God will warn us. He will warn us and give us ample warning so that we can be ready spiritually, mentally, physically for the things that we are going to be facing in the future. In this world, you will have tribulation. That's what Jesus said. So rest assured... Your days of tribulation are not over yet. You still have some tribulations ahead of you. But be of good cheer. Don't let that bother you. Not for a moment. Jesus overcame the world. And he lives in you. You got overcoming victory, overcoming power on the inside of you. Jesus is for you, not against you. So because he lives and overcame, you and I live and we overcome as well. So therefore, we're not afraid of the valley. We're not afraid of trials and tests and tribulation, no matter how extreme they may become in this world. We overcome. I said we overcome. If we're heeding his warnings, we need to be paying attention to the Holy Spirit, listening to him. You never know what he might be preparing you for. You never know. I mean, you know, some simple things he might tell you to do. He might ask you to adjust a couple things in your life. Don't do this anymore. Change this. 
Walk away from that. And you don't realize it, but those little tweaks are preparing you for what he knows is coming. If you'll follow his tweakings, you will be able to face tribulation fearlessly, courageously, and overcome it. So we have to, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to follow him. I'm so glad he warns us. He warns us, right? Over in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6 in verse 10, it says, To whom shall I speak and give warning? That's the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. Whom shall I speak and give warning? See, he wants to, he wants to speak to people. He wants to warn people that they may hear. Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised. In other words, they're not, they're not trained in listening for the Holy Spirit. They haven't consecrated their ears to him. They don't pay attention to him. And they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They don't esteem God's word. Happy enough, we want to hear from the Holy Spirit. We need to esteem God's holy word. If we have no heart, no ear for the word of God, the written word of God, then we won't have an ear for what the Spirit is wanting to say to us as we're driving down the road, as we're getting up in the morning, going to bed at night, as we're going through our day. We won't have an ear for what the Spirit wants to say to us if we don't have an ear first for this word right here, this written word. So we esteem his word. We love his word. Do you? I love his word. Say this. I love the word of God. So we love his word. And as a result of that, it's not a reproach to us. It's a joy to us. Even if it involves correction. Even if it involves him telling you something about your flesh that needs to be sacrificed. We remember what the prophet Joel said. He said, happy is the man whom God corrects. Is that you? Do you get happy when God just slices right across your midsection with the two-edged sword and tells you you got to change your midsection? There's some things you need to change in your life. There's some things you need to do. How do we respond to that? Do we put it off? I didn't hear that. Hear no evil. Hear no God. See no God. Do no God. Is that us? No, that's not us. No, happy is the man whom God corrects. We take his word. We take the sweet stuff and the bitter stuff. We like the strawberries and we like the green beans. We like it all. We love, we love it all. And that sets us up to hear from him so that we are warned, thoroughly warned, pertaining to anything that might come our way. I want us to look again at Acts chapter 21. We looked at this last time, but I want to look at it differently. I want to highlight something else we did not highlight last time. Starting here in verse 10, it says, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, 
so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, thank God he wasn't, (laughs) he wasn't persuaded to save his life. He wasn't persuaded to protect himself and thus abandon the call of God on his life and what the Spirit of God was leading him to do. A lot of folks would try to persuade you according to the flesh. Just pull on your soul. I've been amazed how many Christians, excuse me, over the years, how they allowed their souls to manipulate them right out of their place, right out of the place God had for them. You know, they followed their family members. So they, they said, well, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that because, do what? Follow God? I can't do that because, you know, my children. It would affect my children. It would, and I'm so concerned about my children. And, and you know, Agnes is coming, to, Aunt Agnes is coming to town. And so, you know, I don't want to offend Aunt Agnes. And so in order not to offend Aunt Agnes, I'm going to offend God. They don't say that, but that's what they do. I'm just not going to do things God's way for right now. Until Aunt Agnes is gone, then I'll come back and I'll go back to doing things God's way. See, a lot of times people, their affections are more wrapped up in the things of this world and other people more than God. And we have to be aware of that. I said we have to be aware of that, that our life revolves around Him. It's all about Him. He's our joy. He's our peace. We're going to follow him in all things. So notice here he says in verse 13, Paul answered, what, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Why are you weeping and falling apart and so full of self-pity for me? Self-pity. We have to beware of self-pity. That's the opposite of self-exaltation. But it's just as bad. It's both pride. It's both about us and not him. Being into ourselves. So we have to watch about that. Woe is me. Woe is me, you know. You want everybody to know what you're going through. You know, we just want people to know how bad we're hurting. Or how bad we had it. It just makes us feel good to know that people are singing the blues over us. People are just so, so upset for us. People just hurt for us. How's that going to help you? I said, how's that going to help you? It makes your soul feel a little better, but it's not going to change your situation. If you want to get out of your situation, then you want to get out of self-pity and get into God. Lift him up, exalt his word, look to him as your salvation. He will deliver me. He has, he does, and he will. I'm looking at him. I'm not looking for you to make me feel better in misery. I'm looking to come through this, overcome this, and walk in the victory. 
So they're pulling on him, pulling on him. You got to watch about people pulling on you, weeping, crying. Paul said, what, 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 what's the means? Why are, you, why are you doing this? For I am ready. I love those words. I am ready. Not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem. For the name of the Lord Jesus. Not just die, but die for the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm ready. Why was he ready? Well, because the Lord had been warning him. And he heeded the warnings. And the warning didn't come to get him to run from the trouble. The warnings came to prepare him to be able to go through the troubles. We need to be able to discern the two. Is his warning trying to get us to avoid going this way? Or is his warnings coming to help us to go this way in faith, confident, knowing that no matter what, whatever happens, we have the victory? Thank God he warns. His warnings prepare us so we can stand up and say, I'm ready. No matter what trials and tests come in life, we can look and say, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready for this. There's a lot of stuff you should be already ready for. Pink guy tries to come in the morning. Are you ready? A headache tries to come in the evening. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready if persecution tries to come tomorrow afternoon? Are you ready? See, we need to, whatever's coming our way, we need to be ready. So that when it comes, we just look and say, I'm ready for this. I believe I have everything I need. I believe God saw ahead and he has already provided for me everything I need to be able to get through this. I'm ready. Hallelujah. I'm prepared. Some of you are more prepared than you know you are. Some of you got too much. Too much, man. You're, you're not only ready for any storm you might face, you're ready to go out there and find a storm that somebody else is in and bring them some help and bring them some shelter. See, that's really where a whole lot of you are. You talk sometimes like victims. You talk like you're overwhelmed. But the truth of the matter is, you're overflowing. You got so much truth, such a reality of him, so much faith on the inside of you, all you got to do is acknowledge it and step out on it. Step out on it. Some of you need to start declaring, I got more than enough. I mean, how many people have been coming to this church for more than a year? Man, you're ready for a lot. And some of you here for two years, three years, five, six, seven, whatever, and on and on and on. Man, you're so ready. You're so ready. Man, I just, I just don't know if I have the faith. Do you have Jesus? Are you born again? Are you saved? Man, you couldn't have gotten saved without faith. So we know you got some faith. Are you a hearer and a doer of the word? Well, then we know you got faith. And Jesus said, all you need is a little bit to move mountains, cause sycamore trees to be uprooted and thrown in the sea. All you need is a little bit, just like a mustard seed. So 
You need to start recognizing you got more than enough. You got more than enough. You need to start declaring that over yourself. Man, I got more than I'm ready. Paul said, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever might come my way. Verse 24, Acts 20. But none of these things move me. He's talking about the chains and tribulations that await him. All the warnings that he's been receiving. He says, none of these things move me. Well, what, number one, we know why it's not moving him. It's because he knows he's ready. He's ready. None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. You know, many people can't move their mountain because they're too busy being moved by their mountain. People are, are looking at this mountain. Jesus said, have faith in God for I verily I say to you, he who says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will come to pass, he'll have whatever he says. He says anybody, anybody that believes. He says, they'll say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea. A lot of folks are saying maybe the right things, but the mountain ain't moving. And the reason why it ain't moving is because they're too busy moving. They're being moved by the circumstances. They're being moved by the pressure. They're being kicked around and moved around. It's time to stand firm in the word of God and not be moved. Just like that time when I had middle of the night out in this country home out in Oklahoma, I was bitten by some, some kind of creature of the night. Creeped up into bed with me. A fuzzy thing. Darker than the darkness in the room. Bit me three times on the leg. Sent, sent electric currents through my body. I jumped up. I saw the thing run into the wall. And man, I immediately went into a, a cold sweat. Started feeling weak and the devil started screaming in my ear. I got you. I got you now. I got you now. And so I went out. And I'm speaking the word of God. By his stripes I'm healed. By his stripes of me, no weapon formed against me will prosper. In the name of Jesus. I mean, I'm confessing all the scriptures on healing, all the deliverance scriptures. I mean, they're coming out of my mouth as I'm running to find my keys, get in the U-Haul that was out there that I was going to drive here and start this church in Kentucky. And uh, I'm going to get myself to the hospital. So I'm speaking the word, you know, and I... Get inside the truck, turn the truck on. I'm confessing the word of God. No weapon for me, I'm going to prosper. In the name of Jesus, by his stripes, I'm healed. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. No evil will befall me. I'm saying all these things, and then I'm just about to put the thing in drive, and I got quiet for a moment, and the Holy Spirit on the inside of me said, you know, either what you're saying is true or it's not. See, I was moved by what I had just experienced. I was reacting to that while declaring, this mountain's got to go. This mountain's got to go. This mountain's got to go. As I'm running to the hospital, this mountain's got to go. I'm running for my life. This mountain's got to go. It's got to get out of my life. Well, as long as you're trying to save your life, Jesus said, you're losing it. That's how you lose your life, by trying to save it. But the one that will stand his ground, lose his life, say, I'm ready. 
I'm ready to die. I'm ready. I'm not afraid. And will stand up to the threats of the enemy. The one that will stand up to it and not be moved by it is the one that will see his mountain go flying into the sea. That's when mountains get to moving. That's when they get to flying. It's when you're not. Flying the coop. Running for your life. Fleeing is in terror. What does the Bible say about the devil fleeing in terror? What's that scripture? Huh? Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. But if you flee from him, then he's chasing you. He ain't fleeing from you because you're fleeing. See, someone's got to go. It's either the devil and his baggage or you. I will not be. I will not be moved. How many would sing that song? I will not be. I will not be moved. I'm not going anywhere, Mr. Devil. Someone's going to flee and it ain't going to be me. That's got to be your attitude. Someone's got to flee and it ain't going to be me. Somebody's going to get scared and it's not going to be me. Somebody's going to get to worrying and it's not going to be me. You know, if you don't worry about it, you'll cause the devil to worry. The Bible tells us that over in the book of Ephesians. Not quite in those words, but that's what it tells us. That when you stand your ground, you remind him of his destiny. That he is destined for destruction. He is destined for failure. Whenever anyone stands their ground in faith, they are a testimony. They are testifying to the devil of his destruction, of his defeat. So he knows he's defeated, but sometimes, you know, he has amnesia. He forgets. And he gets lost in the soap opera of your life. And he has so much fun watching you run around that he kind of forgets about where he's headed and what's, what he has in store for him. The misery that's ahead for him. And so, but if you stand your ground, man, it's like going from a soap opera to a commercial. I mean, nobody wants to listen to a commercial. Of course, I don't want to listen to a soap opera either. I hope that's true. I hope that's true about you as well. If not, we'll have prayer people up here at the ending of the service. If you have a soap opera problem, we have people here to pray for you. Somebody said, well, I like soap operas, but I don't think it's a problem. We have workers down here at the end of the service that will pray for you with the soap and detergent of God's word. They will help you, and you need help if you do those things. But anyhow, so your life becomes a misery to the devil when you just don't flee from him. If you're not intimidated by him, he'll be intimidated at you. If you don't run from him, he'll run from you. I think that's good news, don't you? Praise God. So, somebody say, my mountains move. Because I'm unmoved. Yes, thank God, thank God. Again, verse 24. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish... My race. How many people know there's something you're to finish? 
You know, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. There's a lot of things people get started on. A lot of people start out good. They get going good. But then they end up not finishing. So, I mean, what good is it if you go 10 years, 20 years, but in the 21st year of your going, you get discouraged. You quit. You get off track. You walk away from what you've been working at for the last 20 years. It profits you nothing. You got to finish. I said, you got to finish. I mean, when I came here and started the church, I would drive down. At that time, I lived over off of Breckenridge Lane. And so uh, there was a, there's a hotel over there called the Breckenridge Inn, I believe it's called. And I was coming down Breckenridge Lane. And I remember before I moved here to Kentucky, I came here and visited a few times. I had some family members that, that were living here. And they were going to a church that was meeting in the Breckenridge Inn. It was a little conference room in there. And I had gone there a few times. And, and I just remember, you know, going to those meetings. And, and uh, the pastor was all, you know, concerned about having the room set up. And he had his helpers in there. And they're setting up the overhead projector and getting the music set up. And, you know, they're just, you know, all, all excited about getting ready for the service and things like that. And, and, uh, and I went. And I remember he called me up a couple times whenever I visited to testify a little bit. And, well, now, that church is gone. It never, it never went, went much further than the Breckenridge Inn. They ended up, pastor got discouraged. And so he ended up just quitting, just folding, folding up and quitting leaving. He ended up getting encouraged, moved out to California and started to work out there. But I thought about that. I thought about all the energy, all the excitement, all the effort every week that went into setting up that room and getting this church going, and, and I don't know, they were at it for a few years, maybe three years or something like that. I don't know exactly how long. And they were, you know, they, put, they were putting their hearts into it, and it's not even there anymore. It doesn't even exist anymore. So on the way to the conference room over at the Blairwood Country Club, which is where we started our church, I would drive past the Breckenridge Inn, and I would take heed and I would remember, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Now I'm going to start this church. Others have come here and started churches. And they're not here anymore. Some have died. Many have quit. quit. They're, not, they're not serving God as, as pastors, as which, which is what they were sent here to do. I know a few of them. So I just, I took that as a warning to me. I took heed to that. I'm no better than any one of these people. I could, same thing had happened to me. None of them expected their ending to be that way. I'm not expecting to end a failure. I'm expecting to finish. And finish good. Finish well. We're going to finish what God has called us to do. Now, there might be different phases throughout this process that God's leading us in. But we are going to fulfill every phase of what he has called us to do. We're going to finish. And I love how Paul over in the book of Timothy, he writes, he says, I have finished the race. I have finished it. I have completed it. I've done what I was called to do. I ran my race with joy. I fulfilled the mission, the assignment that God sent me on. 
Now there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord God will give me on that day. What confidence. There's a crown laid up for me, and the Lord's going to give it to me. I already know what he's going to say when I get there. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You say, how do you know he's going to say that? Because that's what he's saying to me right now. That's what I got on the inside of me right now. I believe I'm on track with him right now. We should know right now whether we're on track with him or off track. Whether we're out of bounds or in the flow with him. Whether he's pleased with us or displeased. We should know that. We should be able to go to bed at night and know whether we have a big happy face on the inside of us or a frown. We shouldn't be like, I don't know, I don't know, you know, God is mysterious and who really knows and, and I don't know, I guess when we get to heaven we'll find out. That's not how Paul spoke. That's not how you and I should be speaking. We got the same spirit he has. So it's the same for us. We recognize what the spirit of God is saying. You know when you're disobedient. You get convicted. Now, here's the deal. You could cover up that conviction enough where you just dull yourself to it. And now you're not aware of it anymore. And that's a dangerous place to be. You don't want to dull yourself to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Some people try to feel, they feel empty on the inside. Well, maybe it's because you are. Maybe it's because you're not filled with the word like you're supposed to. Maybe you're not filled with the spirit. Like maybe you're more in the flesh and you've, you've kind of drained your spirit. Maybe you, need to, maybe you need to get yourself built up. But what they'll do is they'll run to the pantry. And they'll keep looking in the refrigerator in the pantry to try to find something to fill this. And it's like, aren't you, aren't you stuffed yet? I don't know. I'm just, I got the munchies. I got, I got the munchies. Why do you have the munchies? Stop and consider. Is it because your spirit is crying out for something? And you are interpreting that as your flesh is still hungry. And so people are trying to satisfy themselves in the flesh, and they just keep dulling themselves to the convictions of their heart. We don't want to dull ourselves to our conviction. We want to be very sensitive. He convicts us of something, we respond to it immediately. If we know something's not right, we respond to it immediately. I think of King David. Before he was king, King Saul was pursuing his life. And he is hiding from the king in a cave and the king is out there and the king has got the place surrounded with soldiers that want to kill him. And so he's hiding in the cave and the king says to his soldiers, excuse me for a moment, I need to use the restroom. And the king walks into a cave, not knowing that David and his men are in there. And the king's been pursuing David's life to kill him. And so while the king is doing his business in the cave, one of, this, one of David's men say to him, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. Let me strike him dead right now. David said, don't stretch out your hand against the Lord's anointed. You can't stretch your hand out against the Lord's anointed and not be blameless. You can't touch him. It's the Lord's anointed. So he restrained his men from killing King Saul. But then David thought, I'll go ahead and I'll cut a piece of his robe off that's lying right there next to me. And this way he'll know I could have killed him. 
So he cuts a little piece of his robe off, and when he did, the Bible says his heart, his conscience smote him. He was convicted for even touching the man's garment and cutting a piece of it off. He could have killed him. He was convicted for even cutting a piece of his robe off. That's how tender, how sensitive his heart was to the Holy Spirit. He ended up walking out there. The king walked out of the cave. David walked out, a little behind him, and showed him the piece of his robe. He says, I could have killed you. See, I'm not after you. I'm not trying to destroy your life, O king. People are lying to you. You got thoughts in your head about me that aren't true. I'm your, I'm your servant. I'm faithful to you. And Saul repented for a little while and left David alone. But that bothered David that he cut a piece of his robe. That's how tender we want to be to the Holy Spirit in our life. He, he deals with us about anything like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have gone there. But you see, if we push that down, say, no, everybody does that. Everything's good. Everything's fine. And we shove that down. Then we build up a callus over our heart, over our spirit. That hinders us from future warnings from the Spirit of God. Future leadings of the Spirit of God in our life. So we want to always be tender. We always want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sensitive to Him. We have a race to finish. This is key to longevity. This is key to making it to the end. We don't want to harden our heart. We want to keep our hearts, hearts tender to Him. That's how we stay on track. Let's finish. I want to go out of here in a blaze of glory. Don't you? I don't want to miss it. I don't want to get off track. I don't want to be defeated. I don't want to overcome, 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 overcome. Boom. Lost. Defeated. Lost everything. I want to make it all the way to the end. That's key. That's key to getting to the end. Is seeing past where you are. Having the end in sight. That's, that's what we're focused on. Getting to the end. When I was in the martial arts, we used to break boards. And um, so I'd have, I'd have people hold boards, you know. And sometimes I'd have them put a bunch of boards together. Just depending on what I was going to do. And like, for example, when I did my running, jumping, flying sidekick through the air. It was a great, it was a great, it was a great kick. And so I got a couple of the biggest guys, two of them, stay shoulder to shoulder, each one holding a part of the board. Then behind them, I had another guy holding their shoulders in place. So that board wouldn't move, you know. Well, the first time I did, I had two guys. But then for my black belt test, I had four guys that were like this, leaned over. And I'd run, take off, jump. You know, you could tuck your foot under there like that. And just, just fly through the air. Bam! Go right through those. I had a few boards, you know. Bam! Right through the boards. Oh, it's a great feeling. But to get through the board, you couldn't focus on the board. If you focused on the board, it wouldn't break. You had to look past the board. I had to look past the board to the guys that were holding it. 
Because as I, in this particular thing, you know, ran, jumped, flew through the air, if, if I just looked at the board, when I made contact with the board, then I reached my goal. And I wouldn't have power to go through it. And that's where it would end. Or, you know, somebody's holding the board and you punch it or whatever it might be. You have to see past, like somebody would hold the board, I'd have to see past the board to the person's sternum on the other side of that board. And then when you hit the board, you weren't done. And as you broke through it, you still weren't done until you went all the way through to that person. Of course, he was enough out of reach that you couldn't, you couldn't hit him. But that was the goal, to hit him. We got to see past all this immediate stuff that we're facing in life. Lots of stuff comes up. Lots of things come up throughout the course of your life. Stuff will come up today. And you will fall apart, get in a frenzy, you'll be overcome by every little symptom, every little problem that arises in front of you if you don't have a vision beyond that. I remember, you know, years back, we were still in the gun shop. You know, we started the church, the Blair Country Club. Then we moved into this building. There was a, a guy that did gun stocks on the other side of the building. In the front of the building, we were in the back of the building. And uh, I remember there was some things that came up, you know, in the ministry, of course. You know, there weren't a whole lot of people. It was fairly, fairly new, the church. I remember there were some times that Jean came up to me and said, what are you going to do about this? You know, this is happening. And she'd mentioned a couple things to me that are going on that, you know, I mean, this is serious. We've got to get this fixed. And I'd tell her, honey, I'm overseeing an international ministry. Do you understand? I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I am overseeing an international ministry here. Is that right? See, I'm I'm thinking, this is my world. No, 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 my Lord. We've got a race to finish here. This is just a hurdle. I mean, you know, you think about a runner, right? He's got this this hurdle in front of him. Well, he's probably got a few hurdles, right? What kind of race is that? It's a 110-meter race. And so you're running, and you see this hurdle, and you go... Man, this is, this, is, this is a serious hurdle here. And, you, and you're going to try to get over that hurdle. See? You run up to it, and you get intimidated by it, and now you're trying to, you're trying to step over the hurdle. How many people know you're not going to win this race, and there's a good chance you're not even going to finish it? <laughs> right? Everybody already gone home by the time you decide to finish it. You're, cli- you're climbing, over, climbing over hurdles and everything else, and you're folks. How big is this hurdle? This hurdle is not the right size. Now, that hurdle's not supposed to be that big. Pastor never told me about hurdles this size. He told me hurdles would be half the size of this. I was, already, I was already told that the Lord would not give me more than I can handle. I was, I was told the Lord would not give me more than... Well, I got news for you. The Lord ain't giving you hurdles. People, people say that like it's scripture. The Lord will not give you more than you can handle. Where's that in the Bible? It ain't there. The Lord ain't giving it to you. He's not giving you the trials, tests, and tribulations. The devil is. The world is. Not the Lord. Well, he never told me. You know, so, you know, and people get all focused on the hurdle. But you see, if you realize the hurdle isn't it, 
Or you run up to the hurdle and go, I'm here. And you're like, that's it. You ain't going anywhere. No, no, no. We, we know it. The runner sees well. He's not, those hurdles are not, the, the, he's, he's looking for the finish line. He's focused on the finish line. So when he comes to a hurdle, he's got momentum. He just flies over that thing. Hits the ground. Keeps running. Sees another one. Goes over that one. Hits the ground. Keeps running. Goes over the next one. And his momentum just keeps him moving. And that's how you get over things in life. That's how you finish. But if you focus on the obstacles and the problems... You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Say, I will make it. Because we're looking past the daily trials and tests. We're looking for the final victory. I said, we're looking for the final victory. And that won't be until we hear our Lord Jesus say, well done. Come on home. Be me up, Jesus. And we're going to go out of here. After we have fulfilled what he's called us to do. We're not going out of here victims. Somebody say, I'm not leaving a victim. I'm going to finish the race. God has sent me on. Hallelujah. Praise God forever. We're finishers. He's a finisher. Jesus is a finisher. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He didn't just author your faith. He's the finisher of it. Let's let him do it. See, we can finish because we know the finisher finishes what he has started. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He's faithful to finish it. There's no excuse for not finishing. Because he will complete you. He will finish. He's... Look at this in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says in verse 24, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Well, what's the doing? Go back to verse 23. Verse 23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Complete. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, right? He will sanctify you completely. And may your whole or your entire spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I got good news for you today. Jesus is watching out not only over your spirit, but he's watching over your soul, over your emotions, over your mind, over your body, over your physical condition. He's watching over every area of your life, and he is sanctifying it. He is setting it apart and protecting it, keeping it blameless blameless, free of defect. That's what that word blameless means. Free of defect. He's keeping your spirit, soul, and body free of defect. 
He wants you to complete the mission he sent you on. And it requires your spirit, soul, and body. Your whole being. So he's watching out for it. And then it says, verse 24, He who calls you is faithful who will do it. Notice that. He calls you to it. But he is the one who will actually do it. He's doing the work. He's doing the work. What he began, he's completing. He's called you to it, but he himself will do it. He's called you to eternal life, but he's doing it. He called you to health and wholeness, but he'll do it. He'll make sure it all comes to pass. See, it's just a matter of following him, cooperating with him. He is faithful to do it. And so he who's called you to finish will do it. So we're going to finish. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I'm not just started. I'm going to finish. Praise God forever. Now remember, if you're focused on the finish line, then you're leaping over hurdles. You're leaping over hurdles. You're not parking there. You're not building a monument, a memorial full of self-pity, whining and complaining over your hurdle. It's such a nasty hurdle. I've been through so many hurdles. But this one is like no other hurdle. All the glory and honor belongs to this hurdle. I give this hurdle all the praise. Now we give him all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Say I'm a hurdle leaper because I'm a finisher. Yet not I, but the grace of God that's with me. Through him, I can run against the troop. I can leap over a wall. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Is he strengthening you today? Well, stand up and give him a shout then. Glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.